And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I am Zach. And Adam. Hey, Happy hey, hey. Valentine's Day. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> you got the wrong time of year, Zach. Uh, I believe we're headed steamrolling towards the uh, the Christmas. Um, well, am I, then. Am I in the wrong time find- of the year? <laughs> I think we might have timed this list poorly then because Ooh. because this week we are talking all about some love and romance and three stories about three couples. Oh, I have some thoughts, man. We got some stuff on the show today, ladies and gentlemen. I don't I don't think we've really had like a smackdown on the program lately, but <laughs> this is going to be an interesting one. We haven't. And I'm actually a little surprised. I thought the X Campus episode last week was going to fall into that direction, but really we stayed civil. Yeah, well, there, there was there was fun stuff last week. I, I I had less fun prepping for this particular episode. It's I'm being not, completely honest. It's not great, and mm. uh, some some of this pain and some of this pleasure come to us from WQM Comics. Uh, Dan, who was on our show for the Acts of Friendship episode, uh, jumped over and said, "Hey, I'd like to I'd like you guys to talk about this story that I remember from when I first started reading comics." Yeah, Dan. Oh, Dan. Thanks. Oh, (laughs) Dan. Oh, man. I like Dan. I didn't like this story. (laughs) Here's the thing. Patreon only says that it was WQM Comics. I assume it's Dan since he kind of heads up everything over there. I don't know. But if it's not, if someone else, then we're still going to call you Dan. So sorry, Dan. (laughs) Um, all right, so we might as well pull back the curtain. What is it that we're talking about here for our first story, Zach? The first story that we are going to talk about comes to us from the far distant past of 1996, and it is Pride and Wisdom, a three-issue miniseries by Warren Ellis and Terry Dodson. Okay. Um, can we start can we... with the fact that both Warren Ellis and Terry Dodson are very talented creators? And yes. like all-stars this is that's true this is not their best work let's put it that way this is still early dodson um before he's really mastered his amazing style which he rightfully gets as much cover work as i i hope he can handle warren ellis is obviously you know firing on all cylinders when he's good this is neither of their best days at work. Uh, would you nah, agree? <laughs> nah, this is a story about Kitty Pride and Pete Wisdom, who are a couple. Uh, Whew, deep breath. We'll get how to old it. Is, how old is Pete Wisdom? Nope, we're not going to get to it. We're just going to go right into it. Pete Wisdom is whatever age Warren Ellis was in 1996. That's how old Pete Wisdom is. Because look, look, look. There is a long time-honored tradition of people shipping Kitty Pride. Sure. Creators who had their first crush on Kitty Pride and then, you know, 
like to talk about her or move their story forward using her. She is a good character, so I understand mm -hmm. that. Yeah. However, she is often brought into romantic entanglements. Uh, some of them make less sense than others. We have a future episode in a couple of weeks that's going to get deep into that, which is going to be a whole lot of fun. But <laughs> save that for save that for a rainy day. Uh, no, this this is Warren Ellis. Just like Pete Wisdom is the most Warren Ellisy Warren Ellis character. He's rude. He's very British. He smokes. He drinks. He dresses nice. He's just he's every Warren Ellis character, right? He's insufferable. I mean, it's it's really uh, a distinct displeasure to hang out with this character. Um, and it it just completely boggles my mind that this character is somebody that Kitty Pride would be interested in any way <laughs> in in any way. Like and I, I know that everybody has their own particular, you know, ships that they they really will go to bat for. But, Especially with Kitty Pride. Let's yes, let's be sure. Very clear. A Kitty Pride gets the most, gets the most amounts of ships. She's and, and, she's like a navy. Sure, I mean, because you know everybody's got their their ideal uh, kitty partner. I can't imagine, given the choices, that Pete Wisdom is uh, the ideal candidate. And we, and we haven't even talked about the story at all because the, the overwhelming problem here, I think has to do with the fact that the two of them have zero chemistry. And yet we are expected to believe that they are like madly teenage in love, which, which just doesn't register. Wisdom's not a teenager. No. And, uh, because of that, Kitty Pridely shouldn't be a teenager. Uh, she, mm -hmm. She turned 15 in the Crosstime Caper, which was not that far in the past <laughs> in terms of yeah. the comic book. So that's a tiny bit uncomfortable. That's a big retcon. In his defense, Warren Ellis didn't know how old Kitty Pride was. He's admitted that. He said, yeah, I thought she was like 19, 20. Yeah, that's very wrong. clear. I mean, even the way that Dodson is drawing her is older. But I, I think the other thing that, we should probably give a quick distillation of this plot, which I guess I think, I think has some really fun individual elements, but do not work as a cohesive whole at all. Um, they have been hired by, I guess, some rich benefactor to find his daughter. And there is this, uh, is he a mutant? The, the, the guy that turns people into stone. Yeah, I, I think, think so. He is. There's this a is guy walking story, so yeah. All right, all right. So there, there's this mutant running around like serial killer style, turning people into stone, because he believes that he is the actual biblical Cain and needs to apologize to God through like ancient runes. Did Which I he's get not that right. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But he's not the biblical Cain. That's no. Vandal Savage from the DC universe. Do we not know this? <laughs> and so there are these, you know. Uh, what is this F66 sort of like a secret, you know, X-Files type uh, investigative unit. And then you've got pride and wisdom kind of like trying to solve the case. Um, there's, there's some twists and turns. I guess there's another character who I, I'm not really even sure who she was that was responsible for some of the villainy here. And then we also get introduced to Pete wisdom's um, 
delightful family members, shall we say. <laughs> oh, the Wisdom family is horrible. Can I can I make a brief tangent that I feel like is incredibly, incredibly important to something yeah. you just said? Yeah, go for it. So the biblical cane is not uh, this guy, John Gideon, or whatever his name is. The biblical cane, however, in the Marvel Universe, became the owner of the boarding house of mystery in Cleveland, where Abel lived with him. He took Howard the Duck and Beverly in when they had no money or place to stay, likely alongside the rest of the residents of the house. It's unknown how he knew Beverly or Howard before they arrived. This comes from Howard the Duck, Volume 3, Number 4, a Steve Gerber Max Comics series that apparently has the actual cane and Abel in it. <laughs> also, I, I, Abel didn't die, which feels like an important part of that story. Sure. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they finally made up. Um, I would love it if Howard the Duck was in this this little Pride and Wisdom mini. It, it would definitely make it a little bit more interesting. At this point, um, I'd love if actual biblical Marvel Comics Kane was in this. Yeah, Not sure. Spider-Man Kane. I don't care for him. Get mad at me, Spider-Man fans. Whatever. Well, and we don't see this John Gideon character until I think the third issue. And so occasionally he's referred to as Gideon. And I, for a split second, was like, Gideon's in this? This could get really fun. <laughs> also, Marvel Universe Gideon, not Biblical Gideon, which apparently we have to point out. Yes. Well, I, I mean, given the circumstances of this mini, it makes sense. So you uh, understand that I am now searching to see if actual Biblical Gideon has been in the Marvel Universe. Well, that, you know, that goes without saying, Zach. Um, <laughs> but Pete Wisdom has an absolutely terrible, like, conspiracy theorist father, a very nondescript sister, and I guess they're supposed to be important. I could care less about these characters. His father um, and sister suck. They're boring. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, every once in a while, Pete Wisdom, like, shoots some stuff out of his hands. I guess oh, that's cool. Oh, his hot cool. knives? His hot knives? <laughs> Not to be hot confused knives. with hot claws. Uh, he's got oh. his own hot claws. And um, I don't know. This is just and I, I, I love Terry Dotson. A lot of a lot of credit, you know, amazing artist, um, you know, very gracious with his time when, when I just met him at Comic-Con uh, in October. But this is early Terry Dotson. And um, a lot of the panels and page work here don't have a lot of backgrounds. So yeah. there are a ton of pages in these three issues where characters are just kind of floating in space and you're not really sure where they are. Um, and, you know, I know I'm guilty of this as someone who's just, you know, trying to learn how to make comics better. It's not always easy to figure out, but there are a lot of cases like that where there's not a lot of information about place. There's not a lot of information about even who certain characters are, there's a lot of characters that are put into silhouette. Um, so you're not really sure who they are necessarily if they don't have a, a distinctive outline or contour. So uh, I did not like this. Um, and I'm, nah, I'm getting I was, the sense uh, you didn't either. No, nah, I was telling you off air uh, and I'll repeat it for our dear listeners who were not on our internet connection call here. <laughs> uh I have the Warren Ellis Excalibur Visionaries collection because I got yes. them for $5 a piece. And I said, yes, I will spend $15 to get all of this X-Men. Sounds, Sounds like a good idea. Pride and Wisdom is the last story in that collection. And I mean, look, the Ellis Excalibur is up and down. So I don't want to say I was suffering through all of it because I don't think that's fair to the entire run. But I was like not super into all of it. 
And by the time I got to Pride and Wisdom, I got through the first issue and I said, nah, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and never finished it until this podcast. Well, and that's probably for the best because, the, you know, as if the series didn't leave enough of a bad taste in your mouth, the final panel of this series is Pete Ooh. Wisdom choking Kitty Pride in anger. And I, I know it's supposed to be, I guess, this like playful, flirtatious move. It doesn't come across that way. It's very strange and a very weird way to, to end a comic book. At best, it's an uncomfortable glimpse into a young Kitty Pride sex life. Uh, I and didn't I want to go think, there, but sure. I mean, look, <laughs> this is a romance comic. That's what that's what Mr. Ellis is implying. And I am not not a huge fan of that. Uh, I don't. I know we talked about Kitty Pride shippers. I'm pretty sure Pete Wisdom's like at the bottom of this, right? Like it, it should be. Yes, it shouldn't really be on the list at all, unless I guess you're Chris Claremont and you're still bringing it up in uh, wedding special books. Yeah, that's fair. He was, I yeah, mm, Chris, <laughs> mm, Chris, my boy, my boy. Uh, love you, man. You do some interesting stuff with Kitty Pride at this point in your career. Oh boy, he wants her to run for president now, right? <laughs> he had her one run for president in X Men: oh, The right, End, right? I where she was that. married to Rachel Summers. She was the first gay president. Right. All right, let's let's get behind that. So um, anyway, speaking of this list, uh, this is worse than uh, this is worse than No More Humans, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, which is I never... at 141 on our 171 issue list. Yeah, I would I would go much lower than that. Um, you know what? And it's and it's an interesting comparison is another Kitty Pride mini that we've covered on the show, which is mechanics, which I almost think like that might have more merit than this. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think mechanics is better. OK, I think mechanics right. is better. Uh, and right. That's at 151. Right under that, we've got. We've got that Chuck Austin Zorn retcon story yep. badness. Yeah, this is like in that, that right below that's Poptopia. We like we're in Poptopia realm here, right? Because like it, it's right better part. than it's better than Wildcats X Men. Uh huh. It's probably better than Heroes for Hope, like from a objective standpoint. <laughs> it, it has a beginning, middle, and end. I'll give it that. Um, is it We're all right? So, is it better or worse than Poptopia? What do you think? I think I'd rather reread Poptopia. I liked All Poptopia right. once. I just, <laughs> I just so have this... seen the error of my ways. I've never liked this. Oh, yeah. So is this our new 154? I think Pride and Wisdom is All our right. new number 154. Okay. I'm glad we got through that. I didn't enjoy guys, that very much. Guys, guys. <laughs> Wisdom's bad, actually. Okay, I take that back. In that uh, Paul Cornell, Captain Britain in the MI-13 run, he's dope. He's great because he plays the same role that uh, Captain Britain plays in most of Excalibur, where he's the butt monkey. <laughs> and that works. Yeah, I guess if he's a, a, a target of ridicule, right? Mm -hmm. um, all right, we need to talk about something good so I can get that out of the way. Can we talk about something good? We can talk about Rogue and Gambit from uh, this year, 2018. It was a five-issue miniseries written by friend of the show, Kelly Thompson, and penciled by Paris Perez. We Man. talked about this book when it first came out. The first issue was out, and we interviewed Kelly. Yes. And I said, it's weird that this book is coming out. And I stand by that because 
I feel like this was the turning point. Like, if the you turning if, point into what? If you want to look at the history of X Men comics, there is a turning point when Bendis leaves the books and when Secret Wars happens, mm-hmm. where there's uh, the whole IVX era and then the start of Resurrection that doesn't always hit off. Yeah, yeah. I honestly think that Rogan Gambit is the where things started to turn around again and said, hey, guys, wait, I think we know what X-Men comics should be now. Ah. It's because Rogan Gambit and X-Men Red both came out about the same time. And I think those two combined really pushed things into where we are now. We're like, I'm excited for X-Men books. Well, it is a well, let's let's keep talking on that for a second, because I I like this tangent, because I think you may have a point in that probably the most exciting thing that happened in X-Men Gold um, was the bait and switch of the Kitty and Colossus wedding. And that doesn't happen unless you have this amazing mini before it to really set up the punchline there. It's Um, shocking that five issues make me feel, okay, I'm okay with Gamma and Rogue getting married all of a sudden. Yes. That's all it took. Because they they weren't a couple. They weren't a going concern and hadn't been since Antarctica. It it had certainly been a while. uh, What was it? Uh, Shoot. The Peter Milligan run. I think they were together. Okay. They were. That's the last time. Like, so I guess. uh, What's the what was that really good thing that had the mutant hope who came to came to Alaska and then Sinister? Messiah Complex, Messiah that Complex. was the last time. That was the last time they were together. Well, that's, that's still a bit of time. Yeah, it's been a while. And then five issues five issues of this miniseries, I'm like, oh, yeah, they can get married. That's fine. They can be Mr. and Mrs. X, which well, is a bad title. But that's not the I title of Rogue Game. But... I don't care. Are you reading that? That is a really it's fun a, book. It's a great book with a bad <laughs> title. <laughs> well, hey, it's fine. They kind of had to have... You know, well, they didn't really reveal what that was going to be beforehand, didn't they? No, Wasn't that it was classified. Title? It yeah. was classified. Eh, it's okay. Market, the marketer in me says that's a bad move, and you should have just said it was Mr. and Mrs. X and let everyone assume it was a Kitty Pride and Colossus book until proven otherwise. Make a just, fake cover. Then just go back to Rogue and Gambit, right? Yeah, just, and I mean, look. You hey, we're being picky. Anyway, um, let's talk about Rogue and Gambit. It's a ring of fire, I guess, is the subtitle of this miniseries because it's good oh man well let's just start with the fact that kelly thompson knows what she's doing okay marvel also knows what they're doing by making chris anka the amazing cover artist of this series killer covers on every single issue um especially this third issue where it's a ring of past costumed uh, rogues and gambits or, or even number four, where they're wearing each other's costumes, just really fun, you know, grab your eye. I want to pick this up. I want to read it. And then, then you get inside and uh, is it Perry, Perry Perez? Yeah. Perry Perez. Amazing, amazing artwork here. It is so beautiful. His stuff is gorgeous. And I'm, so glad that they saw his stuff you know in the marvel comics and they said okay we're gonna we're gonna push you up to the big leagues because he's part of the rotating team on uncanny x-men he did an arc on gold like they know that he is he has the potential to be a big guy because he's got beautiful layouts great character uh 
what what's that thing when like characters speak with their body body language that's the one <laughs> yeah and you know one of thompson's strengths is writing these really intimate conversations that also have really funny punchlines in them you know like yes. the recurring deal with gambit having an issue with rogue having kissed deadpool i <laughs> i just I, you know, I'm laughing out loud while I'm reading some of these series. And yet you also get the emotional depth of the characters as you go through these five issues too. Um, you know, so it feels earned when it, it turns out that they're going to get hitched. Um, and I think we complimented uh, Kelly when she was on the show about the simple premise of this, um, which is that Rogue and Gambit have to go undercover to a couple's retreat. and. I just, that basic idea, regardless of, you know, who the villain is or what, what, you know, the way in which it's, I mean, cause the villain is more of a kind of a MacGuffin in this story. Yeah, it's um, a, it's a, the villain is a plot mover to get, yes. to get Rogue and Gambit to confront their specific trauma mm -hmm. and their specific issues with their relationship. And I think it works for this story because the story is not about stopping a supervillain. It's about, these two people confronting their past using the language of comic book superheroes. Yes. And, you know, it ultimately culminates with Gambit really committing to Rogue and saying, hey, I understand that it's hard to be you, um, but I'm here and I'm, I'm going to be here for you. And, th and there was a recent kind of recommitment of that um, in the last issue of Mr. and Mrs. X. Um, and I, I just... I don't know. It brings such new depth to both of the characters in terms of their insecurities, but also their commitment to one another. Um, it's great. I think it's really well done. Yeah. I like this story a lot. I going back to it. I was blown away with just how good this was. Like this is an incredibly enjoyable comic. It hits a lot of the notes that I want and I'm not like Rogan Gambit. I like them. I like them more than most people. Let's be fair. Uh, and by most people, I mean most people on the planet Earth. As far as X-Men <laughs> characters go, they aren't like – they aren't the top ones for me. They're not going to immediately sell me a book just by existing in it in the way that like a Nightcrawler would, for example. But like I care about the relationship because of this story. Like yes. this, this sold me on it. It said, okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. This is good. This is smart. This is well-written. I believe these guys. I'm rooting for these crazy kids. Well, and in other hands, you know, with another writer, you might not, you know what I mean? Frankly, you may not be as invested in these characters because the adventure might be different. The, the emotional connection would be, would not be the same. Um, you know, clearly Kelly understands what these characters are about and why we should care about them. Um, because, you know, there have been other writers that have tried to tackle these these two as a couple and it's not always successful Ew. here it is you know and and one other thing i love and this is just me being someone who has an x-men podcast uh kelly thompson knows her x-men oh yeah uh she has continuity cuts in there that i have to scratch my head sometimes say okay wait what exactly is this from i know it's from something and that's not necessary to make a good story by any means, but it does add to it for longtime readers of this giant soap opera that they can point out and say, hey, you remember this thing? You remember this thing? You remember this thing? It all matters. It all builds into their relationship. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and she does pluck these, these pivotal scenes from X history, um, you know, and even like tiny details, like I appreciate that she was willing to bring up uh, uncanny Avengers um, canon into this story. I appreciate that, you know, there's jokes about Gambit's cats. Like <laughs> you can tell that everything that she's read of the characters matters. Um, and that, it makes for a really great believable story. So um, where would you put this on the list? I, I really enjoy this series. I enjoy it a lot too. Here's what I'm going to say as a starting point, at least this is better than what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires at number 37. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, that's a good starting point. Um, and I, I think kudos to, uh, to the artwork here too that that may push it up for me i know you're a huge fan of the secret wars battle world e is for extinction it's very um, good would you put it above that i'm debating because okay. i don't think it's as good as astonishing x-men dangerous okay at number 31 yep uh and then between all that we've got x factor end game e is for extinction mm -hmm. and then uh the storm and iliana magic series I do think this is better than Storm and Ileana Magic. I do too. And I would be willing to put it above an end game um, just because it's you can just tell the, the amount of craft that went into this book. Um, it is so much fun to read. And end game for me is has a lot of nostalgia power, but I feel like this does too. You know, it definitely harkens back and, and thinks from, you know, adjectiveless X-Men volume one, like... Well, I guess it's volume two, right? Um, Look, let's not try and talk about how to number adjectiveless <laughs> X-Men. I've got some feelings and it doesn't make sense. No, I know. Um, so I, I'd be willing to put it in at 32, uh, but I know you probably want to go to bat for the Battle World Eas for Extinction. Eas for Extinction gets weird at the end. It doesn't technically tell a coherent story all the time. It's just real, real pretty. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Ramon Villalobos. Uh, but yeah, I think this is perfectly good as our new number 32 it's rogue and gambit all right that's a great place for it go check we that out guys it's on all five issues are on unlimited now it is hey we adam we got a weird one oh, okay um, we had a different story picked here and then i discovered what this story was about <sighs> and i had to I, I sent Adam a message and said, no, screw that. We're talking about this one. Pick which one of these three you don't want to talk about the most because we're replacing it. <laughs> well, let's um, let's kind of dip our toes into this for a second. So before we reveal, well, they, they've already read the notes, so they probably know what I'm talking about already. But maybe um, I'm, I'm still curious how many people actually read the notes because I just kind of word vomited to them every week. All right. So. Um, what we're going to talk about is from 2004, and it is written by who? Who's our writer here, Zach? Uh, it's written by Chris Claremont. He's <laughs> pretty good at comics. Okay, so that's a good starting point, just so everybody kind of like is getting used to, you know, it's like the frog in the boiling water. Like, we're slowly turning up the heat here to, to reveal. This is also a Wolverine comic. All right. Um, now. The other half of this title, though, is um, something I 
I was quite surprised existed because when you told me this was a real object, a real one shot, I was suspicious that you had made it up. <laughs> so what is this? Because this is a crossover, a, a an incon. Uh, this is. I don't. I don't know how. Is this canonical? I, I. I don't know, but I don't know enough about Witchblade to tell you if it's in continuity or not. Oh. I assume it's not. Yes, uh, folks. This is Witchblade Wolverine. <laughs> Yes, not Witchblade and Wolverine, just Witchblade Wolverine. Um, uh, Adam, whew. I gotta ask because you are you are closer to that image generation than I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. How much? How much previous interaction with Mark Silvestri's Witchblade had you had? Uh, zero. I knew that it existed. Um, my image knowledge probably extends with uh with Silvestri to about maybe a dozen issues of Cyberforce. Okay. And then really it's after that that he starts taking on, you know, this Top Cow Productions uh banner. He's doing um Witchblade and then he starts to get into this, you know, real kind of like lad mag you know, this is like the age of, of Maxim magazine and like he's doing this and fathom and he's, he's definitely got an entire office of people who can kind of draw like him, but clearly can't draw anywhere. Like they're not nearly as good visual storytellers. No. Um, so in terms of the characters, you got me, man. I, I don't know. All I've um, ever known about Witchblade is she does not wear very many clothes and she's vaguely <sighs> magical. Yeah, the, she's got I, she's got the Witchblade, which is apparently this armor that bayonetas, uh, <laughs> I guess. I don't covers private parts uh, and I is guess. sharp. <laughs> I don't understand the Witchblade, guys. And honestly, this comic has not made me want to hear more about NYPD officer Sarah Pizzini's and her exploits with the witchblade uh but can we like let's take all that aside how weird is this story oh man um i mean i think i got about five pages in and then flipped back to see who wrote it and i i almost fell out of my chair when i saw that claremont did this the basic premise here is that <laughs> that wolverine and witchblade on page one are getting hitched in vegas and th well, then they go into a limousine and the witchblade pops out of Wolverine's chest. I, what is <laughs> going on? Neither of them know who they are. They spend most of the issue trying to figure that out. Some other guys come and attack they them. They find a million dollars. They find a million dollars in a briefcase. Um, they use early 2000s cell phones. <laughs> they get into a fight with someone else wearing the Witchblade, who I guess we're supposed to know. No, um, she's never appeared before or after. I check. Oh, okay. No, this isn't just us not knowing Witchblade continuity. This is Chris Claremont not introducing his characters. Great. Um, so, yeah, uh, we spend the majority of this issue with uh, Wolverine uh, with no shirt on. And uh, I guess this is just, you know, tradition for this character, but Witchblade is wearing this skimpy, weird sort of halter top corset thing that doesn't she's cover much. Wearing, she's, she's wearing what the, what the, what the adult bookstores would sell as, as a playful wedding 
dress up costume for for <laughs> for your for your adult times. I sure. I mean that that I guess that's what this is. It's very I odd. I don't understand it. My wife's wedding dress looked nothing like this. <laughs> yeah, we're we're looking at this uh sort of weird, you know, tube toppy thing. There's a a very short mini skirt. She's got a belly button piercing. At one point, she's also wearing her police badge That's around the her funniest freaking panel <laughs> in this whole thing. It is, and and it ends as suddenly as it begins. Um, they're they, still married. They yes. just, they just, they're going to take their million dollars and live their lives, even though they both admit they don't know who the other person is. They did just get into a big old fight. And they have a million dollars, so they're just going to run away with each other and live happily ever after. And what is this story even, Adam? I I don't know. I mean, last page is we've got the mill. We've got the dream. Finn. (laughs) It's like, okay. Um, I don't know who the bulk of the characters are in this book. I don't think Chris Claremont knows who the bulk of the characters are. It is a very short book, so we're not talking about like a ton of time to even tell a story here. Um, and Hey, like this sort of like Max Silvestri slash Jim Lee style art, uh, by Eric Balsaldua and four separate inkers. Uh, you know, it might be good for like, a, a you know, a pinup art there. There's varying qualities of inking given the page. Um, it's not, terrible but the the colors on this are really terrible and and orangey and glary and it's man, very early 2000s coloring it is just difficult to look at and it makes zero sense yeah uh you remember when we read do you remember when we read the now classic wildcats x-men <laughs> yes yes i and do how it had three out of four of its issues make sense but that last yeah. one was nuts I do remember that. Yes. I feel like I understand that last one a bit better than I understand this story. I think <laughs> and that's I don't fair. understand that last one at all. No, it is. This is a weird, weird book with people like trying to stab each other after they just met and uh, digging drawings into a tabletop for no reason. And everybody just sort of being like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of the Witchblade. I've been around. And you're like, wait a minute, three seconds ago, you didn't know who you were. What is going on? We never really get an idea of why they're amnesiacs. Um, it, it's just bad. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. It's bad. Oh no, this is a bad comic. This is one of the this is one of the badder comics we've read. Uh, this is one of the badder comics that Chris Claremont's written. I'm gonna say that right now. <sighs> it certainly doesn't make uh, a really solid argument for post, uh, you know, 1991 chris claremont that's for he sure did this is a favor to mark silvestri right like i mean one would hope right like he was like hey mark i know i know we we've been buds i know we did we did inferno that was pretty good uh, a lot of people like us uh i'll i'll do this for you as a friend also my career is fine i guess i'm only writing extreme x-men right now they won't <laughs> let me have the good book uh oh man this is not a good comic book chris Chris, Chris, what are you doing? Yeah, it's definitely an eyesore. And, you know, 
if you find this while you're, uh, you know, digging through a long box somewhere, you may just want to flip through it just to be like, what? Um, but certainly do not try to actively hunt this down. It may hurt your brain. <laughs> that said, if you do find this in a long box, do exactly what I'm doing and slap that on the counter because, <laughs> man, this thing is just nuts. There's two covers, so you can That's always... Right. You could get a variant. You could always get a variant. <laughs> Wolverine. I'm sorry, Witchblade Wolverine. Man, mm. Witchblade fans, please tell us if Witchblade is actually secretly good because I have all of one bit of exposure to her. And right now, it's very, very not, not good. Uh, I think it's worse than uh, the worst Claremont comic on here, which is God Loves Man Kills 2 at yeah, 169. That would put this in our bottom. That's uh, bottom five territory. Bottom five, yeah. So okay, so our under God Mil God loves man kills two. Uh, we have the Joseph Magneto mini, um, which I actually did find in the wild and promptly put back in the box. So when I saw it in the store, was um, was because <laughs> I didn't want those cursed objects in my house. It's so bad. Oh, <laughs> it was only the first three issues. If it was a full full four issue mini, I was tempted to mail it to you, but I just I thought that I would understand be that feeling a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've, so I've, I've had I've had that experience. Where it was like I don't know if I want this because there's five out of six issues and it's issue three that's missing yeah and i know i'm gonna want to read the whole dang thing yep. no matter how bad it is it's why i still haven't read trouble there also a bad romance comic by terry dodson <laughs> all right at 171 we have nyx 172 phoenix legacy of fire and legacy of fire the draco um I, definitely better than legacy of fire which is a I'm, very bad comic i am not as offended uh, as i was when i read nyx but i do think there's a skeevy factor to this comic that puts it kind of in the same category like, nyx clearly, was also gross yes but. but it was underage characters and gross this is at least a grown woman with her stuff you know bouncing around for 20 pages um which i I get the impression is probably the purpose of the character, which I never understood. Like characters which, like, like that, are... cannot be a supportive undergarment, can it? Like <laughs> that sounds know. like the worst. I don't know. Sounds I guess sharp. if Red, if Red Sonia can wear a, a, a chainmail bikini made out of like little discs, I guess that could work. I I don't know comics, everybody. Okay, um, wait, 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 wait. I actually I want to pose this to our listeners. Oh rank these three people in whatever order you will witchblade red sonia and vampirilla oh yeah for I, for support costume support oh i was just <laughs> gonna be like as good characters because i'm pretty sure i know the exact order of the bottom hmm. i don't know which one would be considered the best i've read no comics with any of them not yeah i'm just not a big conan guy i read the mm. Kirby like the start of his run it was okay just never got into conan so i never decided to read red sonia yeah we that well okay so fans there there's your challenge from zach uh is this better or worse than the joseph magneto series i th i think it's worse all right i think joseph's bad 
in more interesting <laughs> ways. This is bad in more nonsensical ways. At least that Joseph series got a couple of things where I just laughed because it was just so terrible, right? I guess I'll give it a little credit for that. Right. Like if I got caught reading that Joseph series, people would say, haha, you're reading a bad comic. Uh, <laughs> There's some people who would judge me pretty hard about Witchblade Wolverine <laughs> for whatever reason. It's a weird, it's bad, guys. It's a bad book. It's not well told. No. no. Oh. All right. So this is our new 171. This is 171. Man, right. that was a that was a list. Thank you, WMQ Comics. I assume Dan, but I cannot be sure. Hmm. Uh, that was that was sure an episode of the podcast that we did. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Rec, where can people find you if for some reason they are intrigued by this particular brand of yours and want to go further down this rabbit hole? All right, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh, new pages of Bish and Jubes Attack the Mansion continue to go up on adamrec.tumblr.com every X-Men Monday. Zach, where can people find you? Hey, people can find me on XavierFiles.com. That's where I have all the latest and greatest X-Men news, articles, some other stuff. Who knows? Maybe this podcast. Definitely there, too. Uh, I'm also on the Twitter, at XavierFiles. I do stuff there. Uh, yes. I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. I mostly tweet about X-Men. Also today, confused a lot of prominent comic book journalists about what Marvel's marketing strategy is with a bad <laughs> line. That I don't know why anyone believed. You made a great uh, graphic today. I, I was very impressed by that. I think you fooled some people. It was either, in PowerPoint, uh... and it literally took 10 <laughs> minutes. And most of that was just finding a transparent uh, X-Men logo so I could have the The Uncanny X-Men. There you go. Very well good. Well done. Well done. Man, this is really topical today. Uh, by Monday, this is no one's going to remember what we're talking about. And if anyone <laughs> ever goes back into the past to listen to these episodes, like they're catching up. I know there's people who are catching up right now. So I'm talking to you, you who are not listening to this on December 17th of 2018, who is like March. I don't know what we're talking about either. Sometimes we just go on tangents. There was a marketing thing. It went weird. I made a fake thing. People believed it. I giggled. That's the whole joke. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. Darn it. Uh, anyway, uh, but what you also need to know, one last thing, Adam, and I'm very sad that you cut me off here because I think I was about to make an important point about patreon.com slash Xavier Files where you can support the show. Uh, you get to be part of the Battle of the Atom Boat Club. Boat Club? Nope, that's not what we have. Ooh. It's a book club. Yes. Ah, a boat maybe club. that should be the that should be the fifty thousand dollar level. <laughs> we'll buy a boat and you can be on it. I think we're gonna need how much is a nice boat? Maybe we could make a, a yacht, you know, give have like X-Men cruises. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this idea. I am. I'm scared. If too. anyone has the money that would allow us to buy a yacht with your monthly pledge, <laughs> charities exist, people. <laughs> yeah, we don't need a yacht. I mean, there's other people that could. You know. I'm landlocked. I have no use for a yacht in Ohio. We've got a couple of small lakes around me. That's about <laughs> it, guys. I mean, I could I could use a yacht. I'm near the water, but uh, there's you better could. uses of your money, friends. That's how we could split the Patreon. You get a yacht, <laughs> I'll get the cash. I think this is a great plan. <laughs> anyway, guys, go to patreon.com. You get to make us talk about very bad comics if you want. I 
know that a lot of people have done that recently, and I appreciate the very bad comics that we get to talk about because I genuinely enjoy reading them. Yeah, It's a problem I have in my life, and I'm working to overcome it, but the 90s were a very long time, and they put out so many comics, so going to read a lot of the bad ones. Anyway, we need to wrap up this episode. Adam, good episode? Great episode. Next week's Christmas, guys. Uh, Who saw this coming? I didn't, for sure. So we got some Christmas stories. We're actually taking a break from the user-requested Patreon stuff to celebrate the season of giving uh, and all all of the associated holidays there throughout, but that's about it. Uh, we gotta, I gotta stop saying the words with my mouth. This has been Battle of the Atom. <laughs> we hope you survived the experience. Okay, so we kind of went a little wild at the end there, and I take most of the blame for that. I thought that was fun. I don't know. Who cares?